Chapter Twenty Five, Part A of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Metzler. Organic Evolution, by Richard Swan Lowell. Part Three: The Evidences of Evolution. Section Two: Morphology and Adaptations. Chapter Twenty Four, Part A: Desert Adaptation. Characteristics of the Desert. The popular conception of a desert is of a vast level stretch of drifting sand, devoid of vegetation except in the rare oases, and peopled by camels and the more venturous of humanity, nomadic Arabs and the like. While certain desert areas do confirm more or less closely to this description, it by no means applies to all, nor is it even characteristic of the greater portion of the arid stretches of the earth's surface. The desert does not imply sterility, but simply the possession of a rainless or nearly rainless climate, where drought may be said to be almost continuous. For in the true desert there is no regularly recurring rainy season, and such rains as may fall are intermittent and uncertain in their character. Some years even torrential rains may fall for a few days, as the existence of considerable numbers of dry watercourses, dry saline lake beds, and the marks of ancient torrents conclusively proves. During other years, practically no rain may fall. Indeed, in many of the principal deserts, according to the reports of residents inhabiting the various oases, it is stated that sometimes for several years in succession not a drop of rain has been known to occur. In tropical countries desert conditions prevail if the average rainfall is under 15 inches a year, in temperate under 10 inches, and only the most utter deserts are absolutely rainless, as, for example, the desert of Atacama in South America. Extent of the Desert The combined area of all the deserts of the world, that is, the portion where evaporation of water is in excess of precipitation, and where the watercourses have no outlets to the sea, has been estimated at eleven and a half millions of square miles, or over one-fifth of the entire land area of the globe. Thus it will be seen that, while neither desert plants nor animals can exist in any adequate proportion to those of humid areas, they must, nevertheless, form a large and peculiarly adapted flora and fauna, thus constituting a problem of considerable importance. The three great needs of every organic race are that its members may find food and safety and be able to continue their kind in future generations. This is especially true of desert forms, but the conditions are such that two necessities stand out in marked contrast with the others. These are moisture-getting and moisture-conservation, and defense against both the physical and organic environments. The struggle for existence is exceedingly severe, and the weeding out of the unfit ruthless. Moisture-getting the securing of an adequate supply of moisture is the prime requisite of desert forms, for, as we have seen, its scarcity is the one unvarying characteristic of the desert. Water, therefore, must not only be obtained by diverse means, but also effectively conserved. Plants Even where the surface sands are dry and burning, there may be available groundwaters, and therefore many plants send down deep exploring roots which seek and find the subterranean water supply. 
Among such plants is the date palm, Phoenix dactylifera, which flourishes only where its roots have access to water. Along the banks of the Nile, where the eroding action of the river has bared the roots of the palms, they may be seen going to a very great depth until they reach the water-bearing strata. Thus the presence of the date palm either implies subsoil water, or that it is watered artificially from a well, as rain may seriously injure it. In the land where rain seldom falls, and where an incandescent sun daily pours down its fiery beams, out of a sky in which a cloud is rarely seen, the date-tree finds its most congenial home, Madden. In the Sonoran desert of our southwest, the most characteristic tree is the mesquite, Prosopis juliflora, and here again the roots are of great depth, sometimes penetrating to water-bearing strata at a depth of fifty to seventy-five feet, although only under exceptional conditions does the tree itself reach twenty to forty feet in height. Moisture suspended in the air and which, while it may form dew, is not actually precipitated in the form of rain, must be rendered available, and this may be brought about by one of two ways, possibly by the deliquescence of the salty encrustation so characteristic of desert plants, or by the mechanical collection of dew by the hairs which bedeck their surface. In either case the water instead of evaporating back into the atmosphere may be largely absorbed by the plant. The saline coat and the pubescence are therefore hygroscopic, having the property of readily imbibing moisture from the atmosphere, in their effect. Whether or not the plant can utilize the moisture thus collected is, however, open to question. Animals. With the animals almost the sole source lies in the juices of the food whether plant sap or the blood of prey. Many creatures have learned to depend on such a source entirely, and have abandoned the ordinary means of quenching the thirst by drinking water, even when, as occasionally happens, it becomes available. To what extent the skin may have the hygroscopic power is not recorded. But Willie observed that the moloch, moloch horridus, a highly spinescent lizard which lives in the sandy deserts of Australia, absorbed water like blotting paper when a live specimen was put into it. Moisture Conservation Plants The first method of water conservation is by means of reservoirs. Of these Van Dyke says, The storage reservoir below ground is not an unusual method of supplying water to the plant. Many of the desert growths have it. Perhaps the most notable example of it is the wild gourd. This is little more than an enormous taproot that spreads out turnip-shaped, and is in size often as large around as a man's body. It holds water in its pulpy mass for months at a time, and while almost everything above ground is parched and dying, the vines and leaves of the gourd, fed from the reservoir below, will go on growing and the flowers continue blooming with unruffled serenity. In the Sonora desert there is a cactus or a bush its name I have never heard, growing from a root that looks almost like a hornet's nest. This root is half wood, half vegetable, and is again a water reservoir like the root of the gourd. The cacti contain large masses of watery pulp in their stems, the water being renewed during each humid season. Some of these, like the giant sahuaro, Sirius giganteus, and the still more gigantic saguesa, 
Sirius Pringleii, consist of huge fluted columns, the first from a foot to a yard in diameter and ten to sixty feet in height, sometimes single, again branching like a candelabrum. The latter consist of from three to ten such columns arising from a single root. These have woody skeletons like vertical ribs corresponding to the flutings of the column and supporting the pulpy mass. The barrel cactus affords an easily obtained supply of drinkable water for the thirsty Indians of the Sonoran Desert. The water is secured by cutting off the top of the cactus and then mashing the pulp with a stick. It may then be squeezed with the hands, the plant tissue thrown away, and the moisture remains behind in the cavity thus formed. From the agave or century plant, maguey, of Mexico, the tap is obtained by tapping the plant in the center of the crown of leaves. This is allowed to ferment and forms the Mexican national beverage, pulque. A thickened bark to hold water is found on many trees like the sangre de dragon and torote, jatropha species, which are also protected from loss by evaporation by a glazed or varnished surface. If a tree be wounded, the sap flows, thickens to a varnish, and heals the cut. Animals Water storage in animals has not been extensively investigated, except perhaps in the camel, in which the rumen or first division of the stomach has developed in its walls what are known as water cells. These are cavities with a narrow mouth which can be closed by a sphincter muscle, acting like the drawstring of a bag. When the beast drinks, not only is the stomach filled, but these water cells as well. The water contained in the stomach is of course at once absorbed into the circulation and distributed, but the stored water is later doled out to the stomach and thence to the blood through the relaxation of the sphincter muscles. Hence the camel can travel from oasis to oasis with comparative ease, but Lord Wolseley's soldier's pocket-book tells us that when worked for three days without water, a camel's condition runs down rapidly and after long journeys of five or six days without water, it requires several days to regain its strength, while if it is allowed to go down below a certain point, it will take weeks, perhaps months, to pick up again, and if it is old, it may never recover. Madden. Avoidance of evaporation. Plants avoid loss of water principally by leaflessness. No desert shrub or tree is large-leaved, and with most the leaves are either very small or as in the case of the cacti, entirely absent, the thickened stems serving such respiratory function as is absolutely necessary. Where leaves occur, they either fall off at once with the coming of drought, or fold themselves so as to present the smallest possible surface for evaporation, or they may hang edgewise to the sun. The form of the plant is also such as to offer the least surface in proportion to the bulk. To be ideal, this form should be spherical, which is of course hardly possible, nevertheless a robust cylindrical shape with a hemispheric termination is common, and some cacti are reduced to the hemisphere alone, which, with its armament of spines, looks not unlike a well-stocked pincushion. The cylindrical form intercepts more sunlight when the sun is low, and the light proportionately weak. As the sun rises and gains in strength, however, Less and less is received by the cylindrical sides until a condition of total reflection is reached. The relatively small hemispherical summit will now give the plant a very material advantage over the cactus whose bulk is entirely contained within the hemisphere. 
The fluting of the surface which often occurs is of course opposed to the principle of surface reduction, but is doubtless a mechanical necessity for stiffening a tall column with little internal strength. The hairiness which has already been mentioned as a mechanical aid to moisture getting is also of conservation value, as it resists transpiration by day as well as collecting dew by night, and the varnishing or waxiness so characteristic of desert plants has the same economic function of conserving moisture. It also reflects sunlight, giving total reflection when rays are slanting. Animals conserve water by being non-perspiring, for while perspiration may have a physiologic value, not only to aid in ridding the body of some effete waste, but also through its evaporation in keeping the body cool, these benefits are offset by the ill effect of the loss of moisture from the system where water is scarce and precious. Practically non-perspiring mammals are thus a response to arid adaptation. End of chapter 24, part A. Recording by Eric Metzler, Albuquerque, New Mexico, United States of America.